Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, Episode 5. This is Writing Excuses, Breaking the Rules. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And I don't have to say this if I don't want to. (laughs) I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm not telling. (laughs) I'm a boy. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) that went a weird place real fast. Um, Okay, breaking the rules. We want to talk about, um, a lot on this podcast we say, learn the rule before you break it. It's time to break it. Let's talk about famous examples, places in your fiction where you'll want to break the rules. Any rule we've talked about on Writing Excuses is fair game. And and the thing is, you know, we always talk about the rules, but mm-hmm. usually these are actually guidelines. Yes, that's right. Rules of thumb. That's right. That's right. Just like um, in that movie with the pirates and the and the ghosts, more like guidelines. <laughs> um, one rule that I broke, um, and I, I've mentioned this one before, but it'll kick us off. I was told constantly, keep your first book short. Try and be shorter <laughs> with it. Um, they won't look at it if it's long. Elantros was two hundred and fifty thousand words. That's now short for me, but um, it was sending it out. It was a very long manuscript to have on submission. Um, And this is where I learned the lesson of if you break some of the rules, it's going to make people raise their eyebrow at you. It's going to make them... um, There's a cost. Yes, there's a cost. Um, The 100,000 Kingdoms, I feel, which is a wonderful book, breaks some of the rules in that, you know, some of the, it jumps into these perspectives all told in flashback. Mm -hmm. It jumps into present tense perspectives that do really weird things, um, literary things. It does all these sorts of things that that if a new writer were doing it, I'd be like, oh, be careful about doing that. And yet the book is brilliant. Yeah. And a lot of times brilliance comes from breaking the rules. And and one of the other examples of of the rules that she breaks is that... um, you know, the, the whole, you, you have to sort out your magic system before right. you, she is very firmly in the camp of magic is magic and it just does its own thing. Yeah. Um, yep. And so. there are many who are like that. Um, and that's breaking one of my main rules, which is, you know, the, the first law of magic by Brandon, you know, <laughs> that, um, that magic systems basically, um, do certain things. But anyway, we won't get into that yeah. right now. So basically what you're looking at when you're deciding whether or not to break a rule is, if there is there is a cost involved in breaking that rule, yeah. usually these rules are there because they they are things that people have discovered make it easier for a reader to follow the story, which is yeah. what all of this is about. But mm-hmm. there are times when the cost of following the rule is right. greater than the cost of breaking it. But you have to understand what the two things are. You need to know what the effect of the reader is on doing this. So let me use an example um, okay. from Ender's Game. Mm-hmm. So one of the rules that, that I had been taught, um, actually ironically by Orson Scott Card, <laughs> <laughs> is that you should not start uh, with unattributed dialogue. And the reason is because uh, starting with unattributed dialogue means that you you are in a white room, you don't know what's going on, and that as soon as the dialogue is finished, 
as soon as you start giving the reader something else, that they have to reevaluate everything, and it and it'll take them a little bit longer to get into the story. If you look at the first page of Ender's Game, <laughs> it starts off with a half page of dialogue with no description tags, no nothing. It's just unattributed dialogue. And what that does in this particular case is it says that the people who are talking are not important, that the mm -hmm. subject of the conversation is the important part. Right. And that causes you to have some curiosity about who they are talking about. So the cost that he's paying is a little bit of disorientation, but what he's gaining is piquing the reader's interest. And part of the reason he can get away with that, I think, is because it's only half a page long and you can see that the attributed yeah. dialogue, you know, the, the, the mm -hmm. normal stuff is coming up. Well, okay. I think the other thing that that does, and I, those are some of my favorite parts of the, the Ender books, the other thing that that little section does is it says, these characters are hidden. Yes. And they're secret. And yes. the stuff that they are mm -hmm. doing is stuff they don't want anyone to know mm -hmm. about. Yes. Which immediately sets you up, without even telling you who they are or what they're doing, you know... Oh, they're kind of underhanded people. Yeah, and also I'm probably listening to a government transcript. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. know, this is actually um, this is a screenwriting method that Scott is adapting. You'll see sh movies occasionally and things. I, the most recent I can think of is the Mass Effect video game that I played. That'll start with a focus on a character, and they're not the one talking. Mm -hmm. Other people off screen are talking about them, and it lets you zoom on the character while they discuss perhaps this character or something relating to them. The uh, keyboard. Conversation yeah. at the beginning of the movie The Matrix. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That little bit. And of so, I do feel, by the way, listeners, we are going to be using a lot of examples for you. The reason being, the rules are there as rule of thumbs for a reason, and the only time where we can say break them is say, well, this person broke them. Here's the reason why it worked. Yeah. Uh, so we're right. just going to be piling on you all kinds of um, examples of places to break rules. You're going to have to learn to do this by instinct. You're going to have to learn to say, this is, the, this is the rule. This is what breaking it gains me. Um, so let's see if we can, um, we can talk about a few character rules. Are there, what, are, what are character rules that we've talked about in the podcast? The characters should be sympathetic. Um, and yes. yet there are times where you don't want a sympathetic character. Well, there's also times where your sympathetic character is... Um I mean, that you have an incredibly unsympathetic character. And I am thinking, oh, uh, Stephen R. Donaldson. Right. Thomas Covenant, the unbeliever. Thomas Covenant. That is an unsympathetic character if one was ever written. And right. yet, those are incredibly compelling yeah, books. They're very. And you know what? The cost of that is some people hate those books. Yes. In fact, mm -hmm. a large segment of the population hates those books, um, mm -hmm. the, read, you know, the fantasy reading population, because the character is not sympathetic, does not become more sympathetic, kind of slips down a slope for a lot of the books. He, there are times where he kind of dips upward and things, but it's, it's, he's loathsome. In the first few chapters, he rapes someone. Mm -hmm. This is what happens. Um, and it's not even a, a good, there are no good reasons for rape, but it's not even the normal reason for rape. Does that make sense? It's not like, yeah. he, he, it's just like he's going to prove how bad of a person he is to himself in a lot of ways by doing this. Um, so what do you think that gains? Like, why does that, why do they work? Because it, for yeah. every, you know, for us, also sizable portion right. of the population, they work really, really well. And I would say that there is an excellent question to ask. A lot of these rules, the reason to break them is because so many people have become comfortable with these tropes mm -hmm. that if you can, in a very intelligent way, go counter to the trope, 
you can drive home points and tell a story no one has told before. Yeah. Uh, I think well, with regard to Thomas Covenant, um, what, what it allows you to do, if you've got a character who begins despicable and they are a protagonist, yeah. um, the arc for the character can be bigger. You have a right. larger dynamic range. And, but the, the difference there is he doesn't give really one to Thomas Covenant. And I think the sometimes, books are not about Thomas Covenant becoming a better person. Yeah, I think sometimes mm -hmm. it. One of the things is that sometimes we are fascinated by the train wreck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the classic antihero: someone who does not have an well, arc to become better. A, a, a counterexample of a, mm -hmm. a a bad character who does become a better person mm -hmm. is uh, Jamie Lannister in the Game right. of Thrones books, who oh, yeah. begins the book as an absolutely horrible person. He's in an incestuous relationship with the king's wife. He kills a little boy or tries to. And then by the third book, you are totally rooting for him, and he's become one of the most honorable now, people in the series. I will series. ask you, does he become that, or has he always been that? See, I think that well, that's one of the things that Martin does really well, is that yeah. he has that he allows you to see the fact that people are the hero of their own story. Mm -hmm. and, and as I've had explained, I haven't, I've only read the first one. Yeah. It's less oh, that Jamie... the third one. It's the best I, one. I'm not reading any more George R. R. Martin <laughs> novels. They're too brutal for me. I've explained this. I mm -hmm. think he's a great writer. I don't want to subject myself to that. Yeah. Um, but as I've had explained to me, Jamie, who he is later, gives context to the, the first book where you're like, oh, he, he always was There's this person. There's actually a lot of flashbacks yeah. to, you know, his nickname is the Kingslayer. And when you realize why he did that, he's mm -hmm. famous as being the worst traitor ever. Mm -hmm. And you realize he did that for incredibly good reasons. Hey writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. 
After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Let's stop for the book of the week. Um, we actually have one that breaks a lot of rules, and Dan is going to tell you. Yeah, we're going to talk about Holes by Lewis Sacker. Uh, this is a young adult book that has uh, flashbacks uh, that is riddled with bizarre historical flashbacks, which mm-hmm. you're not supposed to do in most fiction, let alone in young adult fiction. Yep. Um, it uh, breaks all kinds of other rules that we will let you find out, um, and it's a very cool book, and... Uh, you should all go read it or listen to it, as the case may be. So head over to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Start a 30-day free trial membership. Pick up Holes by Lewis Sacker for free. And pick up something else rule-breaking that perhaps mm-hmm. we will mention to you during the course of this cast for uh, 30% off. Let's talk about some setting but rules. But use your oh. own credit card because that's not a rule that... That we, there is a good reason for you to break. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, setting setting rules that have been broken. I can talk about one of these for a minute while the podcasters think of a, another one. Um, I recently started reading Fire Upon the Deep again because I'm trying to get my wife to read it. I've promoted that book before on writing excuses, and it, I hit a broken rule right off the bat. He has an alien set creatures who speak like Americans from um, in, in almost every way. Like, they're the very, very alien creatures. They're these dog creatures that have a group mind. Five of them will make an individual together. And when they talk, they could just be guy on the street in hmm. 90s America chatting with their friends. Um, they come from a pre-industrial society, mostly. Um, it might be right on the cusp of hitting industry. And yet, they, they talk like this. And I'm like, wow! I think that any student in my class that would have written this book, I would have advised them, you really want your aliens to feel very alien, and you want, you know, who they are, you you, you want their speech patterns and their culture and everything to be very distinctive, and so you should go back to that. And yet, reading this book, the aliens are already so alien to us in the way that their form is. I mean, they use their five mouths like hands and things like this. They're already so difficult to wrap our minds around by making them just people. He, so it makes it much easier to connect with them. And beyond that, for us to characterize like the different individuals. Right. Because the individuals are so fluid and one will lose a, a, a dog and a new one will come in, having them talk like people forces me to see them as characters and individuals and see their personalities and not the fact that they're just dogs. And it gets rid of the, the Wookiee problem, right? Every <laughs> Wookiee is the same character in Star Wars. Mm. Every elf is Gim, or every dwarf is Gimli in a lot of um, bad fiction. <clears throat> and by forcing me to see them as just speaking like normal people, 
If you strip away the dwarf, you take the dwarf and you make him talk like a normal person, you strip away all of this stuff, you are forced then to characterize them in other ways. And I think this is what Werner Vinge did. Yeah, the, uh, the eyebrows in Schlock Mercenary, right. I've talked about those a lot. Uh, if I were drawing aliens, doing actual alien design for a video game or a feature film, uh, human eyebrows would right. not be included. But regardless of how I build alien heads, there's a pair of eyebrows in there because I need to be able to tell jokes with these characters. It's yep. a it's a story it's a story trade-off. Um, Mary, when you mentioned the uh, the white room feature at the beginning of Ender's Game, um, the I don't remember if it was Nebula winning or Nebula nominated. Uh, Terry Bisson's uh, Made Out of Meat story yes, I was thinking okay, of that one is too. totally white room, mm -hmm. and it's not white room because you want it to be secret, you know, because you want their identities to be secret. It's white room because at the end of the story, you want to feel like you have been left out. Yeah. You are a human who, whose brain is made out of meat, and these aliens will have nothing to do with you. And, and yet, he, he has them talk just like Normal yes, well, you're right. Yeah. They talk. They talk just like us. Mm -hmm. um, but the the white room thing, what it accomplishes is you, as a human reader, don't get any insight into the wondrous world that they live right. in, and you just never will because you're made out of meat. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to point it out. Uh, that's a great thing to point out. How about <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, another really good reason to break the rules is, uh, you know, like like Howard was saying, to tell jokes. Specifically, if you're going to parody something, mm -hmm. and I'm sp and I'm thinking right now of uh, any number of of satirical horror movies like Tucker and Dale versus Evil, where the characters make the classic stupid mistakes that you know you never want to put into a horror movie because they're so incredibly cliche. Right. But a parody relies on the cliches, right. and so then you want them to be making the dumb decisions. That's true, and um, I just warn you to be careful. That rule is a good one to break for parody, but when you do, you risk, you know, you need to have your payoff be very close to mm -hmm. the rule breaking. Mm -hmm. um, and I would suggest that as maybe a rule of thumb for rule breaking. <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, is to, to give the payoff soon. Yeah. Um, and I've mentioned before the problem of having the epic fantasy story that is generic until the ending, which then twists on its head. You don't want your story to be a shaggy dog story. Yeah. Okay, tell us Shaggy Dog story. You don't want it to? No, I mean, that, that's, okay, that's what yeah. I was agreeing with you. Okay, yeah. 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 yeah you, you, don't you don't want to want... have the story that is yeah. just the story going along and then... Yeah, it's boring until the cool part. Well, you're going to lose people at the boring part, or it's cliched until it's not. Um, if that's okay, if your payoff is soon, and if your payoff for the, the, the rule-breaking, conversely, or on top of that, if you're going to break a rule, break it in a spectacular way, and show off that. that For instance, part of your it. giant crustaceans. Yes. Which are, you know. Breaking laws of science. Yes. Mm hmm. Blatantly. Blatantly breaking the laws of science. And I've talked about this yeah. before on the podcast. I have giant crustaceans. Um, and in order to, you know, I break it and say, there are giant crustaceans, deal with it. If you want to come talk to me about the science that we worked out in the background, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the science pretty much doesn't work but we at least put nods to it you know it's a 0.7 gravity it's a high oxygen environment so that the you know so, but yeah but, but you can day, make but you can make a single crab claw feed yeah. a whole family for a month all you need is the butter yes yeah. yes but, that's that's but, a rule that i broke. yeah but that's one thing that you you 
do is um, that you, you, you hang a flag on it. Yes. Yep. You're like, yep, we know that this is a rule that we've broken. Yep. There are giant crustaceans deal with it. Or, yep. you know, things like this, like um, like Elizabeth Moon, when she shifts between present tense and past tense. Mm-hmm. She, it's very much hung a, a, a lantern on it. She, when she, she does it early on, when she does it, she italicizes it. Mm-hmm. And she does a, a viewpoint break and says, this is how it's going to yeah. be. Yep. Let, me t- let me talk about a viewpoint break that mm-hmm. fascinated me. Because um, we're always, uh, you know, do not head hop is one yes. of the key rules. Right. Um, I'm going to use Ender's Game again. There is, there's a couple of points, actually, where the man who wrote character and viewpoint yes. totally head hops. Yes. And one of them works so well. Mm-hmm. Um, Inder and it's when Inder is getting ready to go off to uh, to battle school, mm-hmm. but not for, not battle school, command school. Okay. And he, it, we're in Inder's POV very solidly, and Bean is in the room. Commander Graf comes in to take him away, and Inder walks off, and we stay with Bean, and the rest of the scene is in Bean's POV. Mm-hmm. There is no scene break. Yep. And it's it's completely seamless. And what he's doing essentially is he's having the Inder passing through the door act as the scene break. Right. And what that, the cost of that is that you might, you risk potentially bumping the readers out as you transition. And, but and what I, you gain from okay, that go ahead. is that if you had had, if he had had the scene break, there would have been a loss of momentum in the scene. Mm-hmm. And this keeps the scene going. I would argue also that Ender's Game was written when a lot of this was in flux. Yes. Um, Back before third person limited became as this strict is, as it did. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, okay, well, and it Dan's wasn't just got momentum. Last Sorry. thing before we end. Well, I was going to say the other really neat thing that that scene mm-hmm. does is it kind of passes a torch. Yes. Yeah, because that's... the end of that book, we we become very distanced from Ender, mm-hmm. and we start you know we we spend a lot more time with Bean and and with the rest of the battle school kids, and that scene is a. Doing that, changing POV in the middle of a scene is a way to say, okay, say goodbye to Ender. He's walking out the door. Mm-hmm. You need to change who you're rooting for now. All right. So you have the last thing before the writing prompt? Because I was going to say exactly what you were saying. Okay, um, well, give us a writing prompt then. I got a writing prompt. Writing prompt. Uh, here is a rule for rule breaking. Uh, the, the best format for experimenting with rule breaking is the short. Mm-hmm. Short fiction. Okay. So pick... Your three favorite, most sacrosanctish rules of fiction, and break all three of them in a short story. Man, we're gonna get like a bunch of stories of second-person stories told as if you were a book traveling backward in time, <laughs> looking at yourself in a mirror. Second-person, second second-person, second person, uh, inanimate objects. Second-person. <laughs> Was it omniscient? No, second, second, second person, person omniscient. Second person, yes. um, second person yes, omnipotent. Please. Oh yeah, <laughs> mirror uh, scene. This has been uh, right excuses. I hope we didn't give you an excuses. Go right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.